before we start today, I just have to say this. Stephen Curry. Goddamn. Another 10 three-pointer game. That's 21 10 three-point games in his career. Clay has the second most ever with five. No one else has more than three games with 10 made three-pointers in NBA history. If that's not impressive, Steph Curry has four in the last week. Yes, it's insane. We recorded this podcast prior to the epic performance against the Sixers where the Warriors defeated them. But just so you know, in April, Stephen Curry, 39.9 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 4.3 assists, almost a steal, 55% from the field, 49% from three, 6.9 of 14 from three per game 14 threes per game and he's making damn near seven ladies and gentlemen we're watching one of the most epic players in sports history one of the best point guards in NBA history one of the best players in NBA history at a peak in which we all thought was behind him yes the Warriors aren't the team they once were but without this man Dropping 49, 3, and 5 on 10 of 17 from 3? This team would be nothing. But with Steph Curry, we get it all. And we get it every single night. Absolutely epic performance by one Stephen Curry. And I'm just happy we get to watch it. Enjoy the show. Subway Sports Talk. Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. All right, here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. SST on Apple Podcast app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. We're here today. First episode of the week. We're going to talk some hoops. First and foremost, the New York Knicks. Six-game win streak playing the best ball of the season? Who's seen it coming? Who did? I don't know. We'll get to it. We also got some other hoop topics to get to. The MVP race is kind of heating up, but should it be? I don't know. We shall discuss. Joining me. NBA Outsider himself, NBA Outsider MVP. Speaking of MVPs, Kyle, running away, Kyle Anderson, with the NBA Outsider MVP this year. Running away. Oh, appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Same you know, close. man, I, I, I miss, you know, I, I do miss Duffy and Frank, and I know Duffy is out here making big moves at Prudential Center, mm-hmm. which I did not know about, by the way. I didn't even know he was, like, that guy at Prudential, at The Rock. So I, I think that's sick. But um, yeah, man, I'm just you know just trying to make myself available, bro. It's, it's it's crunch time soon. It's almost playoff time. So, well, it's funny that you said that because that is kind of 
partially the point here when it comes to the NBA MVP race, right? Like, if you're arguing for Joel Embiid, and I don't want to end the debate in two seconds, but if you're arguing for Joel Embiid to win the MVP, he's playing like 25% less games than Nikola Jokic, which means he has to at least be 25% better than Nikola Jokic, which is really hard when my man's averaging 28, 11, and 9, you know? So yeah. from, from like the simplest standpoint, or I'm sorry, is he at 26, 11, and 9? My bad. But yeah, like that from the simplest standpoint, that gets pretty complicated pretty quickly when you're trying to make the case for Joel Embiid or somebody else for that matter. But we'll get to that in a second. Also with us, Mike Bonfield back again for Subway Sports Talk. I, I can't ingratiate you as an NBA outsider because right now you're a jack of all trades on the show and you will be hanging out for many episodes moving forward. What's up, Mike? What's going on? Happy to be here again. Happy to be a jack of all trades and looking forward to talking some hoop, and some baseball, and some sports. And not that you aren't a jack of all trades, Scott, because I know you got football in your bag. And I think oh, you, yeah. you might have some baseball takes in your bag, too. I'm not. Oh, yeah, bro, for sure. I, I definitely got some baseball takes. But, you know, I'm not watching every single day on every team, like how I, I guess I am I with I am basketball. With... So. Yeah, and uh, I think you and Alec as well, Alec Argento also here. Let's just bring everyone in here. Why not? We're going to have some fun here for a little bit. Uh, Alec Argento and you responded similarly to the Thanos meme going around. Uh, where it was like, oh, like the Knicks are great. Like, what did it cost? And it was like the Yankees. <laughs> and like, you guys were saying, like, yeah, you know what? Might maybe have to give this one up. Like, maybe the Knicks here, uh, are more. It's a more worthwhile investment at this point. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Uh, does it feel like you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul? The Knicks are good, and now the Yankees are trash. Not that they're actually trash, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, dude, a hundred percent because. You know the Yankees are always competitive, and almost every year they're they're in you know in the race to to win the pennant or win the World Series. So if we have to give up one season of the Yankees not playing well, well, I mean season's not even over yet, but whatever. Yeah. So far they've been playing so well, but if the Knicks, if they have to sacrifice for the Knicks, you know what? So be it. Because we we've been waiting a long time to to say like yo man we're we're a good team to to be a Knicks fan. The last so. time the Knicks were even a serious serious title contender, the Yankees were amidst like one of the best runs of all time, winning back to back to back titles. Right? Yes. They won three in a row back then. Yeah. So you know what? They've had a lot of wins since then. The Knicks have not. Uh, but before we get into baseball and get too far in the weeds, there, I, I do want to talk about a few things. With regards to basketball, we're going to get to the Knicks in a moment, but now things are starting to heat up. And if you're one of these people like me who listen to basketball podcasts, you know, you watch the shows where they're debating things and they're talking about MVP. I kind of already gave my spiel and you know where I land here. Nikola Jokic is the front runner for a reason. It seems like he should win. But Kyle, when you think about MVP, especially in this year in particular with COVID, with the uh, shortened schedule, and all these things, how how do you weight missing games? How do you, if you're trying to look at the season as a whole, thinking about all NBA teams, which affects these players' contracts? Like, it's not like this is no big deal. It's not the Pro Bowl in the NFL. This matters, right? This actually means something to these players historically, you know, making the Hall of Fame and so on, and as well as getting more money than they possibly could. So when you think about this and think about award season, 
where does your threshold kind of start and end? I, I mean, I, I agree with you, though, because how, how, these games, even though COVID and you can't control COVID and everything, you know, possibly being out for games. But at the same time, if you've been the most available during a crazy season like this and you're producing the way that you are like Jokic has, then Jokic should be the guy that, you know, should be the front runner. You know, he, he's done everything and more for his basketball team. Even more now, even more so now with with Murray being out, he's even have to shoulder more of a load on his team, and his team still is kind of stayed afloat. So I would I would still consider him to be the guy, even though Embiid has come back and is already giving crazy numbers. But I it just it's tough to to kind of like overlook Jokic what he's done so far, even though Embiid you know it's going to be kind of like a recency bias with him coming back, it's like, oh, like, look at how well he's playing. I think I think Jokic should still be the guy. It's weird because if you look at the timeline of MVP chatter, you know, back before LeBron and Embiid got hurt, LeBron was the leader, Embiid mm-hmm. and Jokic were practically tied for second behind them, right, with a chance to make a run depending on what happened. LeBron goes down, he hasn't come back yet, and Joel Embiid went down, he has come back. And since he's come back, he's put together some awesome games, right? Yeah. And now it's like, oh, yeah. he's got some juice again. Like, he's got this, he's got that. I'm like, yo, hold on. Go to basketball reference and show the statistics ranked by points or rebounds, whatever you want to look at, and click the button for qualified players or not qualified players. If you show only qualified players, Joel Embiid's not on the list. He doesn't even qualify for league leaders right now. And I think if he plays more uh, the rest of the season, pretty much every game, he will come back into the threshold of qualifying for league leaders. But you can't be talking about an MVP when you're not in the league leaders. Like, you're not even allowed on the list. LeBron, surprisingly, is. He's actually, he might have played more games than Joel Embiid at this point and feels like he's been out for longer with no timetable to come back. So, Mike, you're you're also here. You're also following this stuff. Is it is it as simple as I'm making it seem? Is there a case for somebody else, or do you think it's Jokic or Bus at this point? I love that we're having this conversation because I was actually just having this conversation privately with some friends, uh, I think, last night. Um, so the the three candidates that stand out to me right now um, are, of course, Jokic, who's the favorite, who's my pick. Right, if season ends today, my pick is Nikola Jokic to an MVP. Uh, real quick on that, um, the reasons why I think he beats another candidate, Joel Embiid, are mainly because of his field goal percentage and his three-point percentage um, is six points higher, I believe five, six points higher in both in favor of Jokic, um, which I think is a big deal, um, especially when their other statistics are very similar. Uh, And then the third guy I have is James Harden, who I think some people can forget about because he's playing in Brooklyn now, or is he playing? Um, I mean, with those guys... Sometimes it's like they're not even playing. Um, Harden's got 42 games on the season. Embiid's got 38 games on the season. Jokic has 56 games on the season and has been putting up the most impressive numbers out of all the guys. Jokic is my pick. There's a podcast put on by Brian Windhorst called The Hoop Collective. And Tim Bonteps and uh, Dave uh, Tim, or Tim Tim McMahon, Dave McMenamin. There we go. Dave McMenamin was on there. And Bonteps pulled over 100 voters for the MVP over a hundred just recently this past weekend. And Jokic had like 90 first place votes to five on Embiid and Brian Windhorst was having like a conniption 
He literally was, and I'm not trying to exaggerate. He was really upset that his media brethren, as he kept calling it, didn't give more consideration to Joel Embiid. And Bontemps and McMenamin are like, dog, how can you even be this upset about this? You're saying you think Jokic is a deserving candidate. How are you now coming back and trying to act like people, more people should have voted for Embiid? It doesn't really make any sense. I don't know if Embiid can do anything to surpass it. Because like you said, 38 games versus uh, 50, where I love, 56 for Jokic. Jokic has played every game this season. And in a year where, like Kyle was talking about, where people are in and out of the lineups like crazy, whether it be somebody like Jason Tatum who didn't get injured, he got COVID and really got hit by it hard. Like he had is still having like lung issues with that. That's not his fault. We're not going to take that away from Jason Tatum. We're not going to use that against him. But in the year with everybody missing games, missing time, sometimes like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons missed a game. They weren't even COVID positive. They just were near somebody who had COVID, right? That being said, Jokic, 26 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 56% from the field, 42% from three, 85% from free throw on a top five offense in the NBA. Now without Jamal Murray, without Michael Porter earlier in the year, the case is pretty rock solid to me. If you had to make a case outside of the top three or top two. I don't know if Harden, where he lands in that, Mike. I don't want to jump the gun there. If you wanted to make a case, though, Kyle, for positions three, four, five, who are those guys who round out the ballot for you? Because you can kind of go in a couple different directions, and perhaps somebody close to home could maybe, maybe Mm. get in the conversation. In the conversation. Yeah, he could. He could, and I, I... I think for me it would be um Luca and Dame, I think in my in my three and four spot. And this isn't again, obviously LeBron was having a ridiculous year, but just he's been out for so long and other guys have not been. And, you know, some of some of Luca's numbers right now. He's averaging twenty eight, eight and eight really 28, nine and eight. All right. 8.7 assists. Okay. And his team is, is not, is not good. It's, it really is just not good. It's very average. And as a Knicks fan, I love it because KP is like doing nothing for them. Like Mavs fans are just like, dude, when are we trading this guy? When is he getting out of here? And we have <laughs> all, all of this, you know, all the success right now in New York and he's probably can't handle it. But Luca, you know, he, he's been doing what he's been doing since he's gotten into the league. He's creating for others. He's making big-time shots. He's pretty much keeping them in, in games. Like, if, if, if we're going by the, you know, kind of the, the literal, you know, captain literal of the, the award, most valuable player, if you take Luca off his team, and this is kind of what I'm getting at with Dame, if you take these two guys off their teams – their teams are significantly worse. And I think the Mavs are legit, like at the bottom of the barrel, like legit, probably last in the league. If he's not on the team, you know, there's, there's no one else on that team that you can, can consistently say like, you know what, that guy's really balling out for them. Like it's, it's really Luca and, you know, X, Y, Z. It's really Luca and himself. That's it. Like he's, he's really just, he's, he's, he's literally creating for everybody. Um, for Dame, I mean, Dame is just, he's, he's averaging, you know, close to 30 throughout the season. He's 
you know, uh, still hitting big time shots. The same thing, like keeping the the Trailblazers in it. And I think right now they're in the play in, and you know, it's just just another example, another season that he's kind of taken over and just like, you know what, like I'll let every, I'll get everyone involved. I'll get CJ his buckets, you know, get CJ back in his rhythm since he's come back from the injury. Carmelo's going to get his, all right. You know, Nurkic's trying to still get healthy, all right. But at the end of the day, when the game's on the line, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to hit the shot. So I think it's it's still just – he's just so consistent. I think those are the two big things for those two. Absolutely. Great points all around. And now here, here's my next question. Mike, I'll send this your way. Uh, we were talking about Chris Paul in the last episode. Put these two guys next to each other for me real quick because you have Chris Paul on a top-seeded Suns who his statistics are not all that impressive. Like, yes, he's efficient. We know that. Yes, he has uh, nice assist totals. We know that. But when you look at Chris Paul's numbers, if you're sorting by points, you're going to have to scroll all the way down to the to the teens to find Chris Paul. He's not a, a, a glamorous statistical guy at this point in his career. He never really was that glamorous statistically, but his impact is obvious. And then on the other side, you have Stephen Curry on a team who who's in the play-in tournament. They haven't been very good, but perhaps in the realm of uh, reality, not being in a vacuum, like Kyle was just talking about the Mavericks, the, the Warriors aren't a very good team. And they are competing night in, night out because this dude's averaging 31 points, five and a half rebounds, six assists, shooting 100% from, from three. You know, like, so... If yeah. you're talking about MVP, and neither of these guys have a chance to win, right? But in maybe all NBA all or MVP ballot, if you're thinking about those two guys in their various situations, which one do you weigh more? The guy with the big numbers on the average team dragging their asses around or the guy who maybe changed the culture despite having lower numbers and lifting them to a high seed? Um. So first of all, I mean, shout out Chris Paul and Steph Curry. Obviously, both guys doing what they do. Curry's been on a tear lately. Um, it's just been fun to watch, which I think is something that we've kind of gotten away from. The Warriors used to be this the fun team to watch and the Splash Brothers and everything like that. And then Clay's been out these past two seasons. Uh, Wiseman just recently went down. He was exciting to watch uh, as a young up-and-coming player for them, rookie season. Um, I stats don't reflect it for Chris Paul obviously the the presence that he has as a veteran on that ball club with so many young up-and-coming players I mean Booker and especially DeAndre Ayton who might not play the same position you know he's not a guardian center but can still learn from just Chris Paul's unreal basketball IQ like I don't know if I've ever seen he's got to be top five players that I've watched play in my life in terms of basketball IQ and knowing what to do with the ball how to be a leader on the floor um, but Steph Curry is, we're witnessing history. Uh, and, and I say this all the time and what he's doing right now is, has never been done before for sure. And I don't know if it's ever going to be done again. I mean, this guy can shoot lethal anywhere on the court, anywhere on the court, 30 feet out, 40 feet out. It doesn't matter. Um, and he's another guy that just makes, he makes the plays when you need him to, and he's putting the numbers up. And that's the difference for me is he's making the plays and he's putting the numbers up. He's hitting these ridiculous stand ones. He's finding the open man. He's splashing from deep, doing his thing. And he's keeping the Warriors in it right now in a very competitive Western Conference. Stephen Curry. I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, dude. No, I'm sorry. I, I think that was that would probably would have been the fifth is is Steph. Like Steph is just like did, did you did you see the the and one 
that he had yeah. on the left wing with the left hand. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was, I forgot someone, someone was talking to me and we were uh, like at a bar or something like that. Or, you know, someone's backyard. I forgot where I was. And someone was like talking. I was like, yeah, like, you know, just like paying attention, like kind of like side conversation. I was like, Oh shit. Like, <laughs> they're like, what, what happened? What happened? I was like, yo, did you just see that? Like, so did anyone else just see that? It was like one of those. Dude, that's an, it's an, it's insane. But you know, obviously, everyone knows I'm a big Chris Paul fan, dude. Chris Paul is the Jimmy Butler is the new Chris Paul. I'll say that Jimmy Butler and Chris Paul are very similar in that they do not have the greatest stats. Their stats may not be like you know in the top, say, fifteen of the league in points or maybe rebounds. Anything or really? Well. Chris Paul's in there for assists, but that's it, yeah. Right, he's in there for assists. But you know what? Every every situation that they get into, they improve the team like every every time. Win percentage, culture, toughness, every every team that every situation that they get into. You know, this is Chris Paul's highest. Like you know, they I don't know if anyone saw that kind of like that tweet or whatever it was. Just mm-hmm. like Chris Paul, every win percentage that he goes to his first year always improves. And this is his highest win percentage, you know, improvement since he was a rookie with the Hornets. And it's like 250, I want to say. So it's um, a 466 to 720 with the mm. Suns. Okay. Like that is, that is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Knowing that you already have a guy on the team like Devin Booker that just needed an Aiden, guys that just needed direction, guys that need leadership. So this is exactly what we were talking about, Pete. Maybe not a guy with the numbers, but a guy that just come in and change the culture. And again, maybe captain literal, but most valuable player. Okay, if if Chris Paul is not on this team, it shows last year they're four sixty six. The only thing that changed with that roster is Chris Paul. Yeah, and they're seven twenty in the win percentage. It really is. Uh, it's off the charts right now on twelve attempts from a three. Twelve. 42%. Like that, that is why well, he's actually closer to 43%. He's 42.7. If you're going to be specific. So he's almost 43% on 12 attempts. Now this year shooting is, is probably one of the highest shooting percentage years that we've had in a long time. Offense in general is through the roof. So there are 50 players who are shooting 40% or higher who qualify for league leaders um, in the NBA right now. 50 players. That's a, that's a good bit, right? There's a lot of players who are shooting the ball well this year. The highest after Steph Curry on attempts per game is Zach Levine with eight. And then behind that is Paul George with seven and a half. And then no one is even at seven who's shooting 40%. I'm sorry, Terry Rozier is in that list as well. He's shooting eight per game and he's 40%. So three guys are at eight, eight or seven in 40%. Everyone else is below that. He's taking 12 and he takes incredibly hard shots all the time. Like he takes yeah, the hardest shots in the entire league, uh, yeah. realistically. So just absolutely incredible stuff out of him. I do want to get moving. So I'm going to bring in other guys here today. We have a full house. It's stacked. It's fantastic. Uh, and that means Alec Argento is here as well. Also, before Alec starts talking, Andrew Kalanya is here. We're going to get to baseball in a hot minute, but we still got Knicks to talk about. So Alec, while we're still on this conversation of awards and MVP and all NBA, can you make a case for me? that Julius Randle should be on a nice number of MVP ballots. If not, 
is he a guaranteed all NBA player for you? Ooh, I don't know if I can make a case for, I mean, the, the case is the, what you guys were talking about with like Luca and things like that. Without Julius Randall on the team, this team is what they have been for the past, you know, 10 years or so. So they, they very really could potentially be the fourth seed. And I think that if they get the fourth seed, you'll get some, some, some votes there. I don't think it's realistic to expect him not saying what he's not done, what he's done isn't incredible. Uh, but you know, just what Embiid and, and, and Jokic and, and the guys that you guys were saying before, they're, they're, you know, they're going to win that. That being said, he has to be a lock for most improved player. Right. And within that, he has to be a lock for probably not the first, no, definitely not the first team just because of, of, of the forwards that would be ahead of him. He's definitely the third team uh, and potentially the second team, all NBA. Uh, I, I think that's pretty fair to say. I know that there's arguments that most improved could be Jeremy Grant, which is preposterous. I mean, if you're on the Pistons, you know, putting up what I always called Michael Carter Williams numbers uh, from when he was his rookie season, you know, if you're just the guy who gets the buckets because there has to be buckets to be made, then it's that. But, you know, I mean, the guy is a lot for most improved in my opinion. And like, such a big jump it's not even like you know just his scoring went up all around game he went up and he's taking a team very really might have home court advantage in the playoffs that's that's <laughs> it is actually kind of Insane. hilarious when you say it out loud uh to go back to that that idea of what the knicks would be like without him i i've sat here on this podcast many times early on until probably a few weeks ago still not being a full-time believer in the New York Knicks' ability to be a top-six team in the East. And night in, night out, this guy shows up and puts the team on his back. And yes, there's been better performances out of a lot of people. R.J. Barrett had a really nice stretch. And then he went two for ten the other night and was not as nowhere to be found. Derrick Rose was out of the lineup for a little while. He's a bench player. He makes a nice impact off the bench, but it's not like he's carrying this team. Reggie Bullock's been shooting better. We like that. Nerlens Noel is protecting the rim. We like that. Without Julius Randle, like you said, this is the this is the worst team in the Eastern Conference, perhaps. This roster is not that good. Like if you really, really sit down and think about it, and don't think about, you know, they play really hard and well to get and play well together. If you think about the talent on this roster, there's not a lot there. There's really not. The the rosters are almost almost every roster that they play against, you know, at least on paper has more talent than them. If you, if you look at this, the, the Pelicans roster, right. Oh my on gosh. Sunday, the Pelicans roster, they have so much talent on that team. There's like, you know, if, if every, if they were coached, say both by Thibodeau, let's say there's no way that the Knicks, you know, should beat them, but they just play harder. And I, and I think that's why I respect Julius Randle so much. Dude, every, every time, every time out, every free throw, you know, and you see he's at the line, he is gassed because he, he plays so damn hard. And he, you can tell he's just selling out for the team, man. And the fact that he also isn't like you mentioned before is that, you know, like Jeremy Grant is the only guy that's getting buckets, right? He has really nobody to pass the ball to. Not really looking to get anybody involved because the rest of the guys aren't that good. But Julius Randle is legit, like, looking to get other guys the ball. You know, he's getting double teamed, and he's not, like, forcing up crazy shots. He takes shots when they're there, but when he goes to drive and he gets the help, he's automatically, like, looking to kick to Bullock or or to Barrett at the three-point line. 
And, you know, Bullock has been really hitting like pretty much like three threes a game, it feels like. And he's hitting big shots for them. Same, so is uh, Alec Burks. So I think it's just like, this is just a bunch of kind of like just misfit toys. And somehow Randall is the glue that's keeping them all together. And so obviously so is Tibbs. And he, he, he deserves like all the credit in the world. Like I'm sure, you know, guys like Monty Williams or Quinn Snyder are probably going to be the coach of the year. But Tibbs should really be in that conversation just as much. You know, if you've taken that team with that roster into where they are right now to potentially be a five four seed, get home court advantage, that's it's a story in itself. Like It's ridiculous how, how good of a job him and that staff have done. Do they still do executive of the year uh, in, in the NBA? Is that a thing anymore? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Leon Rose, what, what, a, yes. what an offseason that guy had. I mean, just looking – like not even just like Tom Thibodeau because like that was we know that Tibbs wanted the job it was his dream job six years ago he said it out loud and that's whatever but like hiring the people that can draft it quickly that can sign a Nerlens Noel when anybody could have had Nerlens Noel they got him for five million dollars on a one year deal he, he he might get defensive like all all, all defensive team votes for uh, this year it's yeah. ridiculous he's been no joke I, I mean. Alec Burks is another one. You're going to have to extend Alec Burks, right? You, can, you probably let uh, Reggie Bullock go, but you have to keep Burks. And I know we kind of got a little upset about things like not making – not upset, but, you know, we kind of wanted a deadline deal. But let's not forget, we got Derrick Rose for essentially a second-round pick. Dennis Smith Jr. was out of rotation. Every move that the Knicks have made this year has been tremendous. Even, like, bringing back – Taj Gibson in the middle of the season, right? He, he wasn't on the team to start off. He's been yeah. incredible for us. And, like, you talked about Julius Randle being gassed after every play. And, like, he is a Tibbs player. And, like, that's what you have to – you look at the Tibbs players that buy in. You look at a Jimmy Butler. You look at a Taj Gibson, players like that. That's how they look every game. They're putting 150% of themselves into the game. And, like, that's why it didn't work out in Minnesota. But, like, everywhere else, like, he gets the most out of his players. And that's the exact kind of guy you wanted on this team. So, I don't know. It's just you have to marvel at somebody like Leon Rose, who everyone said, oh, the Knicks hired someone crappy again. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He thinks he's just going to get big guys here. But he's hit on everything that he's done this entire year. Well, he hired an analytics department. I, I know this because uh, my brother's uh, wife's sister-in-law, somebody, somebody tangentially related to my family, w- actually works in the Knicks analytics department. So and again, he went he what? Basically, yes. Um, so so uh, he basically said that they they basically built it from the ground up this year, uh, and there was basically nothing to work off of. So everything that they, that the Knicks have done this year is basically brand new, and it's been new blood in their analytics department and in, in their scouting, everything. It's been a complete overhaul. So uh, whoever they hired in the back end here, and I, again, I have a name, but um, uh, I escapes it. me at the Drop moment. It. But uh, <laughs> it escapes me. Honestly, it escapes me. I have to ask my brother what, what the guy's name is, but he works for the Knicks analytics department. He basically said he built it from the ground up. So well, I mean, um, that's incredible that's insight that, you're, that you've been withholding from us this entire time, and you decide to just drop it on the podcast here. I got... That would have been by the a way, great by nugget. The way. <laughs> FYI. Coming in hot, Andrew. Uh, that's Andrew that's Kalanya, by the way. Uh, what great? That's a great piece of information by you. Great insight. And it makes so much sense. Think about this statistic alone for Julius Randle that can lend itself to what Andrew's talking about, how they have just a newfound philosophy on the game of basketball. 
Last year, Julius Randle took 3.6 three-point attempts per game. He's up to five three-point attempts a game, in part because he's shooting 40% versus 27%, which is a stupid jump. Like, that is just, that that should never happen. That doesn't make any sense. Julius Randle's career three-point percentages, are you guys ready for this? Didn't even qualify his rookie year because he didn't take any. 27%, 27%, 22%. That's all less than one per game, but still, he wasn't shooting them, he wasn't making them. Then he gets to New Orleans, he starts shooting a little bit, 34% on three attempts. Last year, 27% on three and a half attempts. 40% now this year on five attempts. The spacing, the philosophy clearly had a change of pace here with the the new regime in the Knicks. Uh, As well, honestly, Reggie Bullock, Alec, I think I'm taking him over Alec Burks. I think the glue that he provides is more important if we can fill out the roster with higher-end talent or, you know, another good draft pick. Alec Burks is great for us right now because he's unfortunately the second-best closer we got and the second-best shot creator we got. But Reggie Bullock is that guy who is the 3 and D, the guy that uh, Andrew's buddy in the analytics department is like, yeah, we need him to grind on defense and chuck some three-pointers. He's doing just that pretty damn well at this point. I would say that with – with Bullock, I think you have someone on the team that could do his role, which is Frank Nielakina. And, 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 you know, it, I, I think that they have a very similar skill set. Obviously, Reggie Bullock is further along in his career, but I don't think Reggie Bullock's ceiling is very high. You know, I, I no, think that not. Frank's ceiling is, 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 I think his floor is at what Reggie Bullock is, which is a plus defender and someone who can hit spot up threes. Can't really do anything else. He doesn't drive to the basket, he doesn't slash or anything like that. Um, but he guards two through four with pretty well, which is what you want. And Frank can do that. Frank can, well, maybe not four, but he can, for small fours, he can guard one through four. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, with Burks, we don't have a lot of instant offense. Uh, so I think you got to keep someone like that. Now, in regards to the, the thing you were saying about Randall's uh, three-point percentage going up, uh, outside of just Randall, we're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, aren't we? I know our, our in terms of the shots yes. we take, but we're one of the most efficient teams in the league, which is bananas. And I, last time I was on the pod, talk well, maybe not the last time, but when I was talking about um, the Knicks with, with, Kyle, uh, with Kyle, actually, and I forget who else, I think it was Frank, but we were talking about the defense, and we were saying their offense isn't looking as bad as, as we thought it was in the beginning of the season. They instilled a defensive mindset, they got that foundation done, lock and key, and now the offense is coming. They're putting up over 110 points a game pretty regularly these days. And um, you have guys that have learned every part of failure this year and have gotten grown through it. Couldn't learn how to close games. Couldn't learn how not to foul. Couldn't learn how to do whatever. And they're hitting everything they need to be doing against good teams now. So. Uh, just throwing that out there. I, I'm, I'm on a high after the six-game win streak, and I jumped in a little late uh, trying to <laughs> collect my yeah. thoughts. <laughs> no, it's, Dude, it's I, a great I, I think I – think, uh, I don't know, between the whole Reggie Bullock and and uh, Burks, like – and I guess you're throwing in, like, Frank. Like, I, I want to let go of Frank, man. Like, I'm, I'm like how many not, – not chances, but – how many opportunities are we going to give them until we like finally say like, all right, Hey man, like you've, you've run your course. Like, I, I, like, I don't, I don't see him like coming off and giving us anything offensively that Bullock is giving, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think he's going to be even close to what Bullock is giving us defensively. Definitely. Frank is better, 
But if I think if we plug in anybody that, you know, is maybe a one-year guy, like maybe we have with, with Bullock and he's our defensive guy that we bring off the bench, I think he could do just as good of a job as Frank. Because, I mean, what, what significant minutes is Frank playing right now that we can't give to somebody else? I mean, he's been getting a lot of DMPs lately. Yeah. You know, like he just hasn't really sure, been given us anything. But I don't know that that's super accurate because with, he hasn't gotten, gotten a playing time. That's one thing. But when he has played, you know, I know he's gotten some ticky-tack fouls called against him in, in limited minutes recently. Yes. But when he's had extended periods of time played it. He's knocking down threes at a good clip. He's playing good defense. I mean, that's he, he that's really all that Reggie Bullock does. He just has more minutes to do it, you know? Like, there's really not much of a difference in their game at all. Again, Frank Frank can't create, but neither can Reggie Bullock. He can catch and shoot, and, and that's about it, you know? Yeah, I, I I guess just like – I guess I would have more confidence. And yeah, maybe it is with more minutes, but I guess I would just have more confidence if if at the end of a game and we need to hit a big three, yes, I'll take Reggie Bullock, you know, and twice on Sunday, you know, as opposed to, to Frank. But Frank, I don't know. It's just – I just feel like we've – I, maybe it's just PTSD, and I'm just like, dude, like, this is the like the last reminder that Phil Jackson screwed us over for so long. Like, <laughs> we can literally just get rid of him right now. Like, just just get rid of it and just start over. Like, that's like the like the ultimate clean slate for me. It's just like, dude, we can get rid of him and just get someone else in there and just like completely get rid of it because. You know, I I've maybe I don't know what obviously what what Tibbs is going on with, you know, with his rotation and not including him in it as much. But usually, I guess so far, I can't really question them because they've been playing well, you know, with the guys that he's been playing. Right. So I don't know. Speaking of rotations, have you noticed that Tibbs has been experimenting lately? Yeah, I have That's actually. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. That's weird. I love it. Like he actually yeah, no, inserted Frank into a few games recently where Frank was getting DMPs on the regular, which is. You know, it is what it is. The team was doing well enough to where, like, he could do whatever he wants with his rotation, right? Yes, we were losing some tough games. And then we went on the stretch where we were losing a lot of tough games. And th- we were on this podcast, we were saying, like, damn, all these late games, like, we don't have a closer. We don't have a guy who's going out here, yes. you know, by himself, putting putting the exclamation point on a game or, or kicking somebody while they're down. Like, they're just not getting it done in that regard. And that since then, game. right, exactly. That is exactly the point. I think it was two or three podcasts ago, we talked about it right after the game. And yeah. now they have been winning some close games and they have been uh, making some of those plays that they need to. And the experimentation feels right. It feels like it gives a little bit of that extra motivation to a player to be ready to not take their minutes for granted. And sometimes that's all you need. Real quick, I want to get this stat in because Alec mentioned it and I have the stat to back it up. Recently, the offense is through is going through the roof for the Knicks on the Knicks standards. They're still low on the point totals compared to other folks, but here is their win total uh, point total per month on offense. December, I'll throw it out. It's only five games, but a hundred points for December. That's low. Whatever. It's only five games. January in sixteen games, they averaged one hundred and two points per game. February, fourteen games, one hundred and nine. March, thirteen games, one hundred and four. In April, they're up to one hundred and twelve points per game which is a very, very nice increase. They're taking the same amount of threes as they were in March, making one more attempt. This is their best three-point shooting month of the year so far. Um, And then on the defensive side, the identity was established, as per Alec mentioned. 105 points in December, 
103 in January, 104 in Feb, 105 in March. And even though the offense went up to 112 in April, that defense stayed 104 opponent score per game thus far in April. So the team is coming together. The defense is not slipping as many, myself included, expected it to do so. And it's just not simply. So let's move on to a bigger picture conversation with the Knicks before we start getting into some baseball topics here. Currently still the six seed. The Knicks have done a very good job with beating who they're supposed to beat. They are 15 and six as Vegas favorites this year, covering the spread. So that doesn't even include their actual record beating teams they're supposed to beat. But, excuse me, when they're favorite, they've covered the spread 15 and six. That's great. Coming into the playoffs, you're not going to be playing unless they get up to the four seed. Even if they do, they'll be getting the Celtics or the Hawks or something like that. They're not going to be playing teams that they're, quote, supposed to beat anymore. What is the new ceiling? Because every time they break through the ceiling that we set for them, which early on was being a play-in team, then it was being a six seed. Now it is, can they get to a home court advantage slot in the playoffs? They're currently a half game behind the Hawks and Celtics. What's the new ceiling, or what's the ceiling you want to lay up there? Uh, Mike, I haven't heard from you in a minute, so... Why don't you go first? I mean, as far as this season goes, I mean, now we're looking at this season. We're we're talking about this season. We're talking about the playoffs coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah. The Knicks, the ceiling this season, we're talking about home court advantage. Uh, I think the ceiling this season is they, they can win. They can beat a five. I, I think Boston, the top three are tough. I mean, you got Brooklyn, Philly, uh, and Milwaukee are going to be tough series for the Knicks to win. I actually think they can pull out two games in, in against Milwaukee or against Philly. Uh, I unfortunately think they're only taking maybe one against Brooklyn if those three guys play. Um, but Boston would be tough. I think they give Boston a run for their money, though, if they continue to play the way that they've been playing. See, we're all riding this high right now because the Knicks are on a six-game win streak. But we've also seen them, like you mentioned, we talked about it on this pod, We've seen them lose these close games. And in the playoffs, you only have a seven-game series. You know, you lose two of those close games, you're down two games. And you got to win four. I, I don't like their chances there. So if they can continue playing the way they've been playing, I mean, I'm looking at their leading scorer from the last five games in a row, Julius Randle. Four of them in a row have been over 30, one of them over 40. If he can continue to play the way that he's been playing – Barrett can continue to assist Randall in being that guy again, and something we've talked about in this pod before. Who's going to be that guy? We talked about the possibility of it being Barrett, and now he's kind of grown into that role over these last few weeks. They've found something that has that's clicking right now, uh, and if they can, I mean, yeah, they've beat New Orleans twice, but New Orleans isn't a bad team either. Like they're not top of the West, but. They're not, I wouldn't consider them a bad team. Mm. I think they're young, but they have a lot of talent. Dallas is a playoff team in the West. Los Angeles, playoff team in the West. Toronto's having a down year. They got some talent on that team, too. Memphis, that win in overtime, that was a huge win for them, too. They're fighting for a playoff spot in the West. So they have proven themselves. You know, It's not like they're beating up on the bottom of the East. They've beaten some Western Conference playoff teams. So if they're able to beat these teams in these close games the way that they have been, I certainly think that they can give some teams in the East a run for their money. Alec, new ceiling for the Knicks. Do you agree with Mike's sentiment? Anything to add? Anything to take away? 
Uh, I do want to add something. I saw a stat today. I, I didn't research it, but it seemed actually pretty accurate based on my memory. The Knicks have only lost three games since the All-Star break by five points or more. Three games. Everything wow. else has been five points or less. I, is Kyle shaking his head because that's inaccurate, or is that just... No, a, no, no. I'm just shaking my head like that's unbelievable. <laughs> no, that's, that's insane. Yeah. So, that's insane. So, so here's my thing. My my ceiling, I I think their ceiling is they can win a series. Uh, that's it, right? They're not going to win a championship. I don't think Milwaukee is as untouchable as we re- if we remember last year in the playoffs. They they kind of collapsed, right? I mean, it, it's I don't think they're untouchable. The Knicks already also beat them by forty once this year. I mean, again, I don't expect them to do that in the playoffs or anything like that. I also don't expect them to win, but there's a possibility and a real possibility I think that they could win a series there, right? Very unlikely, but it could happen. If they play the Hawks, I think they win that series easily. Actually, I, I just think Ooh. they match up so tremendously against them. That defense will lock them up, and you know, you, a Tibbs team is made for. A team, I don't. I'm not trusting Trey or whoever else on that team has the ball in the playoffs. Like I would trust someone on the Knicks right now. The Knicks have also gotten through all of their growing pains this year and learned from every part of them this year. So I think their ceiling is that they can win a first. Uh, they can win a, win a, uh, a first round playoffs, uh, a playoff series. I think it's pretty likely if they play. The, the Hawks. I think it's very unlikely if they play the Celtics, mm. uh, but I think that they could, I, it, it's all going to depend on seeding. And, and as, as, as we just speak right now, the Knicks are currently tied for fifth because, because Boston lost. The, oh, did lost they lose tonight? tonight. So, I go. mean, yeah, yeah, they lost the Bulls. So uh, that, that was a weird one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a really realistic possibility because we also talked about it last time I was on the pod with you guys. Um, in the playoffs, they're going to call the games, you know, towards the defensive end, and the Knicks are born for that. A lot of these ticky-tack calls that get called against the Knicks, and you're starting to see less and less of them, honestly, because I think that, you know, once you get a reputation for being a certain team, they kind of give you a little bit of leeway. Um, so once playoff time comes, I don't think that they're going to be getting called for as many fouls as they do right now. And also, I think so this last game, they had two people foul out. I think before that, I can only think of one other time where somebody fouled out of the game, and it was Julius Randle. They don't foul mm. out. So, I mean, when you're in – they're not going to get into a lot of foul trouble in the playoffs. I think if they could – Even when Mitch was out, healthy, they got very, no foul outs. It's great. Yeah, yeah, and very and at the very least, I think they're going to tire the hell out of whoever team they play in the first round. So, so Kyle, before we go to you, because I, I just want to add one thing, because – we've been talking about the defense being playoff made, right? It's made for that style of ball. I now really want the Knicks to get the Hawks because I want to hear Kyle do his Marcus Peters impersonation again. I said, oh, oh. we ain't oh, done said, yet. We ain't done yet. With Julius Randle. Right, we're moving on. Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. Julius Randle's face on that. Yes. And we're, it's we good. Got, we got to Photoshop that. This is how it's going to go. It's going to be Julius Randle or RJ Barrett at the top of the key. And they're going to take Trey Young's guy, whoever it is. It could, he could, Trey Young could be guarding Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel. It doesn't matter. Bring him out, set the screen, get the switch. And Trey Young will get trampled on every single time down the floor. And that's the, that's the question with Trey Young, right? Like, is his defensive liability too much for the offense to overcome? So, so far this regular season, they've turned it around under the new coach, but Randall and Barrett will absolutely bully Trey Young, and Tibbs will call that play every single 
time. Yep. Kyle, do you have anything to add in regards to big picture Knicks stuff, playoff picture stuff, anything you have? Because we're going to switch it up and uh, you can get moving on for, with your night. No, yeah, man. I, I think that's I, – I, I respect Alex – uh, you know, take right there because I, I think it's, I think it's definitely, uh, they can definitely win a first round, first round series, a hundred percent, because this is, is a team that locks in defensively and everyone knows in the playoffs, you know, the pace is slow, you know, the pace slows down. It's not the up and down, the refs let you play, you know, the guys are just trying to get into a rhythm and, you know, just chucking up shots. You know, this is where, where teams like the Knicks, that have already been playing defense pretty much the entire year are, are going to thrive. And one other thing, all right, that I, I looked up, the Knicks are number one in the league, 40 and 17 with one push first half spread and 35 and 23 on the first half money line. They are Ooh. like damn near a lock for, for first half spreads. All right. So if you are a betting man, Get after it because they just won me some money last night. So <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Uh, shout out to Chris Mangan too. Chris Mangan was on the episode last week. He told me today that he locked in Julius Randall most improved like a while ago at like yeah. plus one sixty. Now it's like minus whatever, and he's he's a very happy camper. Um, Andrew, I think. What, oh yeah, I get think it. What's uh, get the most fun for me is kind of like a basketball outsider to kind of watch you guys like evolve as like the season's gone. I remember going and be like the Knicks. All we just want is competency. That's all we. That's all we want this year. And then yes, they got, they, got, they got like a little bit better. And it's just like maybe, like maybe we can make the playoffs. Like holy shit, we maybe we can make the playoffs. And now it's like, yo, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna definitely gonna win a first round. First Dude, it's round so playoff true. match, and we could do it's, it. Like, we it's, evolved. It's, like it's, it's been like it's been so crazy as like an outsider to to watch that. It's actually I see like the genuine joy and like you guys' faces. Like it's it's actually like really fun for me to watch it like go down. So like I'm really happy for y'all. Oh, thank you. For oh. what for what it's worth, I, Pete can attest to this. I said the Knicks can make the playoffs like first week of the season. I said it's that, true. And PD always be a hundred dollars uh, if and when they make it, which accurate now is just a win. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's accurate. And the dollars were, I don't know if they were officially agreed upon. I don't know if there was a handshake. Well, you threw it out there. That was on you. I didn't even ask. For That's it. true. I believe we have a screenshot of the text. I said, if the Knicks make the playoffs, I'll give you $100. And then you didn't say, we have a deal. So Was it, a, was it $100? Do you have to agree or... that? <laughs> It's, in, it's documented. I didn't have. There was nothing against me. Of course, I agree with it. I didn't have to do anything if they didn't. So of course, I agree to it. That's fair. It was a hundred doll hairs. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. It's, My I got... boy, he actually bet me. Uh, what was it? I think it was like a yeah, twenty twenty five dollar bet. He's like, "Yo, I was like, yo, Knicks are winning thirty games this year." He's like, <laughs> yes. No way, bro. I was like, "All right, bro. You'll see." So now I think the other bet was the Nets winning 45 games. So it might be just be a push and we mm. just freaking get hammered somewhere. There you go. Just buy each other drinks. That's, that's the exactly. best way to do it. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, Kyle, I'm pretty sure you're running out early hey, morning yeah, of hoops yeah, for you. you. guys get after it. Peace out, brother. You, you and the hey, – Take man. care. Yeah, man. You and the Good boys can listen guys. to the game, uh, the podcast tomorrow while you hoop five in the morning. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right, Kyle, be good. Um, All right, man. Take care, guys.
All right, shout out to Kyle, man. He's the uh, the only real NBA outsider we got left. You know, Duffy's busy. Frank, you know, actually Frank's Frank's been pretty good. He's been talking a little baseball with us too. So I'll give Frank some shout out. Andrew Duffy, they're working hard. We get it. But we got designated hitters here. They've been here the whole episode, more or less. That's Alec Argento and Andrew Kalania also joined with, with Mike Bonfield. This is Subway Sports Talk. You know where to listen. If you hear me say these words, you found us, right? But just so you know, Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, all the places you listen to podcasts, don't forget to hit us on Twitter at Subway Sports Talk TLK and on Instagram at Subway Sports Talk where T-A-L-K is there. You know, I'll, I'll fight Twitter about how many characters they allow us in the at one day, but it's not time for that battle yet. Um, but it is time to talk about baseball. And despite the the best team in New York you know, doing their job and really – getting a nice start to the season despite all the rain outs and the snow out and the COVID outs and whatnot. We can talk about the lesser team in New York because they are just absolute hot garbage at this point in time. Uh, the New York Yankees are 5-10 and 10 in last place in the American League. Things are ugly, but Andrew Kalanya did a wonderful job on Subway Sports Talk Instagram, you know, trying to finesse the worry of Yankee fans. And I think you did a wonderful job. Obviously I'm joking about the Yankees being trash and whatnot, but it's been ugly. It's been frustrating. And, and frankly, there's some things that are happening here that were partially a worry going in. So that's what I want to open up with. Yes. There's hell of a lot of time left for the Yankees to figure this out. My bet is that they're going to figure it out at some point, but that doesn't mean that some of the issues aren't real. It doesn't mean that some of the things with maybe the defense or the pitching staff or the lineup right now with injuries and stuff aren't real. So, Andrew, you kind of sat out the basketball conversation a bit more. So let's go to you off the jump here with baseball. You did a great job weaving the worries of our followers on Instagram. So give us the overall look here. Give me your 1 to 10 worry level and just how you're looking at the next couple weeks here for the Yankees. Well, yeah. When you, when you say that they were hot garbage and I, I don't, I mean, you know, the second worst record, not just, you know, it's the worst record in the American league. And it's the second worst record. Uh, thanks to the Colorado Rockies and all of baseball. Uh, oh, wait, so you're saying I'm being percent. fair by saying hot garbage. Well, uh, you know, they're, they're not playing well, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, the, the sum of it, but, you know, on a, on a scale of one to 10, you know, I think, again, a lot of, as you were saying, a lot of the concerns that we had going into the season about the rotation um, with Kluber and Tyon and Yerman, uh, all who, again, all last time they pitched was 2019, 2018. Uh, so, you know, they haven't exactly lived up to the expectations. Again, Montgomery is, you know, has been the second best starter for the Yankees. And again, he, even, even him, he's been a little, uh, a little uh, sloppy, uh, the second start of the season. But besides that, he's been pretty good. Um, you know, again, the defense, which, mm. you know, it's what happens when you have an outfielder uh, in Jay Bruce, RIP, uh, retired on Sunday. Uh, uh, you know, you have him playing first base. You have your backup third baseman playing shortstop. You have Odor, who's not a, who's not a good defender whatsoever. He's playing, he's starting second baseman while your gold glove second baseman is playing first base and sometimes third base. 
so like the infield defense is just you know with Luke Boyd being out it's just been a it's just been an absolute mess and like say what you want about like I can't believe I'm gonna make this point right now but say what you want about like Tyler Tyler Wade and Mike Ford and I and I was screaming about them like being just trash you know last season and not wanting them to be on the roster but at least you know what you're going to get out of them. You're not going to get uh, that much offense whatsoever, but Tyler Wade can play a gold glove caliber shortstop. He can play the shit out of second base. Mike Ford can actually scoop the ball at first base. So you don't have to, at, at least they do something right. When Odor, you know, regardless of whether or not he he'll pop a home run now and then like he did on Sunday, you know, he's a, he's a zero, an overall zero. And the only reason why he's on the roster right now is because, He's a, a literal zero salary cap hit, and the Yankees need to stand under the luxury tax for whatever whatever reason uh, that uh, Hal Steinbrenner wants to give. Um, so it's it's been disappointing, but you know there are you know as I was saying today on Instagram, there's there's room for improvement there. Whenever Luke Voigt decides to come back, you can shift DJ back over to second base, and you can hope that Torres plays a competent shortstop. But I mean, like. Every every day that goes by, Glaber Torres kind of showing that he maybe he's not a shortstop going forward, and maybe the Yankees will have to assess that. And again, it's still it's still you're 15 games in the season, but you know it's not going well so far for for Glaber, and maybe the Yankees will make the that decision in the off season. Maybe they'll make it um, at the deadline to see if that's where he's going to stick going forward. Because I, I still believe in Glaber Torres. I believe he's going to be a star player in this league, but maybe just you know maybe not it's shortstop right now. Um, and, you know, the offense is, they're just missing pitches, middle, middle. I, I sent that picture to the group chat. That, like there was a, there was like, uh, like 50 pitches that were like middle, middle into uh, the plates that the Yankees were just missing on Sunday. And they've been, and when they do make contact, they've been hitting ground balls. Like Stanton, uh, typically he hits like a 43% ground ball rate right now. He's at like 63%, something like that. Like numbers shooting through the roof for a bunch of guys. Um, so it's, you know, the offense is not going to stay in the funk that it is. Um, and you have to think that, you know, Davey Garcia might be coming up, so he might be able to inject some, you know, life into the pitching staff. Um, you know, but it still doesn't fix the fact that the Yankees are very right-handed still doesn't fix the fact that, uh, you know, that Kluber and Tyon, uh, haven't been working out so far, but, um, you know, (laughs) There's reason to be concerned. There's reason to be optimistic. So, you know, it's, it's still very early, but you know, the warts are showing a lot sooner uh, than anyone would like to like for them to be. I have two things. First is a question for you guys, and then I'll get to my point. So over under one and a half, actually, let's say you guys might know the answer to this. Let me just say this over under a half of players on the Yankees lineup, not including Tyler Wade, who only has uh, six at bats and is not on the roster at the moment. He's just on the 40 man hitting over 300 over under a half it's under over 300 i know you're looking at the stats here andrew don't don't cheat no i'm not i'm I'm, I'm just like i'm thinking left to left field you frazier probably no hicks definitely no judge Mm -mm. unless he goes on a tear no stanton no Mm -mm. there's one guy and he's kind of you think are you saying currently or at the end of the season? No, I currently, right now. It'll be one. One. It, it's one, and it hardly counts because he's a backup. It's Kyle Higashioka, but he has... Oh, I thought you... Yeah. He, he doesn't count. He's batting 308. He's played in eight games. You know, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. So I, I gave it to him. But if you don't count Higashioka, not one player on the roster is batting over 300. In fact, not any player... There's no player in the 
regular starting uh, nine or general regular starting nine besides DJ LeMayhew over 255. LeMayhew's at 286 yeah, and, and, and Judge is at 255. You're at the point of the season where if you get three hits in a game, you're, you're, you add 80 points to your average exactly. and they can't do that. Exactly, you know, but... It's ridiculous. And that's that's actually partially the point. Like, these guys have hardly even had, like, one big game at this point in time. You know what I mean? Like, they even, haven't even had that one outlier that totally ramps up your your average here. So, it's, it's, it's not good, right? But this is my actual point. Before the season, we were talking about being frustrated with Mike Talkman and Tyler Wade's of the world, the Mike Ford's of the world. And we were saying they're great when they're true role players at certain points of last season or before they were asked to do too much too often this year. It doesn't even matter because everybody's going out there and kind of laying duds. So whether, and, and on top of it, the defense thing that you're talking about. So the role players aren't even having a chance to fill roles because the stars aren't really holding their end of the bargain at this point. Aaron, Aaron Judge does have four home runs. That's kind of the only thing we got going for us uh, as far as Yankee statistics. So, Alec, sound off. I know you have a lot to say, so give it to me. Where, where's your worry level? Andrew, did you give a number or no? Uh, I gave my number during the uh, during the Instagram today. I, I gave it around a, like a four or five. Okay. Uh, that's That's absurdly low. <laughs> uh, I am a seven, like a hard seven with room to an eight. Not because I, I've said, I, I've seen this before with the Yankees, not recently, but you and we've said it before on the podcast. But you can't win a championship in April, but you can certainly lose one, and that is exactly where they're going right now. They will pick it up. They will fight for. They will be in playoff positioning at the end of the season, but they may not win the division now. And when you have to play catch up for a crappy April, that's going to affect you for the rest of the year. And it's also not like they might not just get out of it tomorrow. We don't know how long this period of, of shit is going to, is going to be, you know, this could extend for another two, three weeks and you get yourself in a, in a hole where you're 10 games behind uh, uh, the, the leader in the division. That's really hard to get out of. I don't care what month you're in. Um, so I'm super worried you know, I think that the, the idea was obviously that the offense will hold the, the you know, the, hold everything up until we figure out what the rotation is going to look like. And the offense can't do anything. And it's not even like they're, it, it, it reminds me of the Yanks of old because, like, they have people on the base pass and nobody's coming through. DJ LeMahieu is 0 for a million with, with like, people in runner, uh, runners and scoring positions this year. That's mm. not DJ. Nobody's hitting to the back of their baseball card right now. And I know, you know, you, you assume, that like you know water always finds its level and it'll be how it is but like part of me thinks that this has kind of been on a, you've been seeing this pattern for the past couple of years of people game planning for the Yankees um and they've become less and less you know they've just be, they've become so right-handed power heavy uh that it's going to be how it is right and and you're going to throw these righty flamethrowers at them out of the pen and um throw them breaking balls away and Gary's going to swing at it, and Judge is going to swing at it, and Stanton's going to swing at it, and, and you're, they're going to strike out. And then now, now you're in your own head, and you have players like Stanton, who has the worst pitch selection right now that I've ever seen out of anybody at playing baseball. He, he is constantly <gasps> letting 92 mile an hour fastballs go down the pipe, and then sw- uh, swinging it like a slider in the dirt every every because uh, he's constantly in an 0-2 count. So. I don't know. I'm super worried, not by the fact that I think the Yankees are going to be like 10 games under 500 this year or anything like that, but like 
what's our goal, right? Is to win a championship. And you can, you can really hurt yourself in this situation right now, which I think we have, um, you know, towards the end of the season, this all catches up to you. And, um, you know, do I think the Red Sox are going to win the division? Hell no. I, there's no way in hell. So like you, you can kind of live with the fact that they're leading the division right now because you know they're going to go down. But every game that Tampa Bay and Toronto gain on you is going to affect you down the road, and you have to play catch-up. And you don't want to play catch-up this early. You know, it, it, it just – I don't know. I, I kind of sounded off there, but no, it's good. I'm very worried. And, uh, you know, I, I just – at the same time, it's also go Knicks right now, so, like, I'm not that worried because <laughs> I never even like baseball and the Yankees, Yankees aren't even a fun team to watch. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my two cents. Yeah, and, and like, kind of what, what Alec was saying, like, you know, they're very right-handed. And, like, if you take a look at the roster up and down and how they, like, acquired all these players, like, they've been, like, under-the-radar moves that, like, you can say that Gio Urshela, that move worked out. Clint Frazier, that move worked out. DJ LeMahieu, that move worked out. Aaron Hicks, for the, you know, they traded him for nothing. I don't know if they should have extended him, but, you know, that trade worked out. But, like... All these trades working out, but like it's the they are lesser than the sum of their of their parts. If that makes sense, like all these moves worked out, but at the same time, it's an imperfect fit for the roster. They're not they're not athletic. They're not um, again. They're very right handed, and you know there's there's not a whole lot you can do with the starting lineup unless you ha- you there has to be some kind of drastic move made here to 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 shake things up offensively but i mean again you can bank on talent that's that's one way and i feel like that's the way they're gonna go you know i don't think they're gonna make any kind of drastic changes 15 games into the season but they might make some kind of change at the deadline they might you know if they go into the offseason not winning another championship then maybe they there will be more you know drastic uh changes to this lineup because like i don't know you trade for you don't trade for rugged odor five games into the season if your bench plans and in the off season went according to plan, you know, like you yeah. don't make the, you don't make those kind of moves. If like you were satisfied with the way your team was built. Um, and, so it's, it's a very imperfect roster at the moment. And it's, you know, the warts are very much showing. And not to compare everything one-to-one to the Mets. Cause I'm about to do that twice in a row, but just as an example, cause they're so close to home here. The Mets went out and got Albert Amora. They got Kevin Pillar. They got VR. They got almost a plethora of bench guys. And yes, you need probably a little more bench flexibility in the National League because there's no DH. We're not going to go down that that road today. But they almost made moves that felt unnecessary in a way because they weren't going to play that much. And look how much they are getting in. And they're getting their chances. They're getting their hacks. And they're making impacts already. They're making impacts in the field defensively. And, uh, you know, VR had a walk-off hit the other day, right? So the Mets did that. The Yankees, there was almost a complacency to them. And I know that's something when we talked about free agency with the Yankees, there was a lot of fans who were upset saying we didn't do anything like Alec. Yeah. I think Alec was the guy. He was like, what did we do? Like we didn't go for anybody. And that's frustrating when now depth's a problem. Uh, health's a problem. Luke Voigt was the best hitter on the team last year. He's not there right now. And, and that's a real issue. So Mike, I'm going to call on you to be the arbiter here. And I know you are a Mets fan. So take your Mets cap off a little bit here, but we've <laughs> been, we've been, on this podcast in years past where the Yankees got off to a slower start, the Mets got off to a nice start. And don't make this particularly Mets-Yankees. I'm just using it as a benchmark because we've been here before where they got off to a slow start and we sat on this podcast and said, hey, you know, by May, 
or by the end of May, the Yankees will be back where they need to be. Is there that is that route still open? Is it still available for the Yankees? I think the answer is yes, but tell me why. Or if you think it's not, it's not. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that that route is still open. And I almost think it, for the talent that they have on that team, um, in that lineup, um, even their pitching. I mean, you have Garrett Cole as your number one pitcher. Obviously, he's not the whole rotation. But with the talent they have, I absolutely think that they're almost expected to still be one of the dominant teams in the American League. And I think that they will be. You know, I think, like we just said, We've seen enough times that the Yankees sometimes can get off to a slow start. Baseball's a long season, man. Baseball's a long season. So there's – I understand Alex's concern because, you know, early on they, they really are not looking great. And I think there are some concerns because I think it goes I, – I think there's a difference between a team just being in a slump a few games or, or if you lose a few games in a row because specifically of your bullpen. But the Yankees have issues offensively, defensively, starting pitching – um, and this is something that fans are not accustomed to seeing with the New York Yankees. Um, they're an organization that is really known to have all their pieces in place. And that's, I feel like, why they didn't really make a lot of offseason moves. I agree. I think that was a mistake. But I feel like their biggest offseason move was the one move they absolutely had to make, and that was re-signing DJ LeMakeu, which they did. But that doesn't really improve your team in any way. It kind of just keeps it exactly last year. This year, not so much early on. Um, real quick, like you said, not to make it Mets versus Yankees, but with the Mets, unfortunately, in the past, we've seen them, you know, the Yankees find their spot, you said. You know, they find their way back to the top, and the, the Mets sometimes are at the top, and they find their way back to the middle of the division or the bottom, and we're hoping to stay away from that this season. Um, and I think the Mets actually have a good chance to do that. So not to turn the conversation, but just to get that little – I mean, based, about the method, yeah. based off of where we are, who we are, and what we care about in regards to this podcast, right? With with football, it's really easy to talk about the NFL, not just the Jets and Giants. With basketball, it's a lot easier to talk about the NBA, not just the Knicks and sometimes the Nets. With baseball, we're talking Mets and Yankees 98% of the time when we're talking baseball. So it's, it's totally fair for you to do so. It's honestly, it's near impossible not to, especially since both of these teams, by Vegas, by Pakoda, by every metric you can possibly think of are looked at as two of the best teams in the major leagues. So it's totally fair, Mike, that you're doing that. And it's totally possible that the same narrative can happen again. So Alec, you, you raised your hand there. You, you have a thought to add? Yeah. I, I, you know, thinking about it now, Yankees did make a lot of moves in the offseason. They, they actually made a, a pretty a significant amount of it, right? They, they, they got a Kluber. They traded. For, they, they traded for a Kion. Uh, you know, they signed a Justin Wilson to bolster the bullpen. They signed a Darren O'Day to bolster the, uh, the bullpen. They made the moves, but the problem is that the, what, what the Yankees have been doing for the past six, seven years, which is that they're just afraid to take the big swing, which is ironic for a team that only takes big swings. Um, mm. You can't live on the margins when you're that good of a team. You need to just continue. You, I don't think Lindor was the guy for the team as much as I love him. Uh, I, I don't think he would have been the piece that brings the Yankees out there. But again, and same thing with like a Trevor Bauer or something like that. I don't think that he would work out well in New York. But like there's people to be had that they're just not even going after. And if they are going after, they set this arbitrary price point for them uh, that, they, that you know other yeah, teams like, are aware um... of. When you know the number that the Yankees are unwilling to go past, 
because of this luxury tax, you can outbid them, and then you'll get that person. If you're, you know, it, it's just yeah, it, this has been a very frustrating thing for the past like six, seven years. Yeah, and there were a ton of guys in the offseason that like that I, I was just sitting there before they signed LeMayu, like when Lance Lynn got traded from Texas. Like again, Lance Lynn's not going to be your ace, but Lance Lynn would be the second best pitcher on the Yankees. And he, we and tried he that on the Yankees. He stunk though. Yeah, yeah, that's but the Yankees actually fixed him. They taught him to throw his changeup more, and then he went down to Texas, and that's how he pitched. And now it's how he's pitching for the White Sox. Like the Yankees fixed him, uh, ironically, um, before you know they put him in the bullpen and all that stuff. Uh, regardless, um, but if if you do want, um, as a Yankees a Yankees fans out there, if you do want to be slightly optimistic about uh, the team right now, the last time the Yankees were actually in sole place. Uh, sole last place in the American League was uh, April of 1998. I'm not sure if uh, anybody remembers what happened in 1998. Uh, the greatest team in uh, one of the greatest teams in baseball history uh, was made. Um, there you go. So stats. So there you go. There you go. Facts. Stats. And uh, so this brings me to the next big point here with the Yankees. The Aaron Boone chatter Ugh. is back. It was heavy his first year. It was there in part his second year with a lot of pushback from people like me who were saying, what? Like, this team is winning. The roster was doing better than probably expected. Why is all the hate for Aaron Boone still present? This time it's back, and to this point, it might be fair. So what is the current vibe check on Aaron Boone as the manager? Is it... Is it bad and should it be bad? Or, like, is it bad and it, it's it's fine, it's going to work out? Like, what what are the thoughts on Booney right you, now? You can't you can't trust a word that comes out of his mouth anymore. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter if it's player injuries. It doesn't matter what, what his strategy is going to be. Like, you you cannot trust what the manager says. He goes into the season. Clint Frazier is the starting left fielder. Now he's in a straight platoon with Brett Gardner. Uh, Garrett Cole is not going to have a personal catcher. And Gael Gashioka is caught three out of the four stars, given Gary was uh, hurt last start. But he, I, even then, I, I think he was going to catch him. Oh, uh, you know, this guy's, you know, not feeling well, but he, it's just a regular routine thing. Don't worry about it, guys. And, and it's just like, why, why go this route? Like, why publicly say anything if you're just going to immediately turn around and, and change it like that? Like, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like why supposedly for the person they hired him because he, you know, he communicated better than Joe Girardi did. That's the whole reason why he was brought in. His communication skills are just it's horrendous. His public facing, uh, it just, I can't believe a word that he says. Anything that he says, I'm just, I, I automatically think the worst of it. And I think the complete polar opposite. Like, I'm just, I'm just absolutely like sick of it. And what's the reason? Like what? possible positive can come out of the lies. I, I think I said this to you guys in the group chat. Like what, what's the reason behind being so, you know, gray about injuries? Is there any possible outcome that's positive to Aaron Boone? Not saying this guy's a little bit banged up. Instead he goes, Oh, he's fine. It's just a little routine thing. I think you protect the players by doing that. Um, and and their image and things like that and, and, and making it seem as though like I don't know it, it's sometimes I think it does work out like I think Judge was probably hurt like the first second or third game 
I remember when he was taken out of the lineup or, and he, he was out for cold-like symptoms or flu-like symptoms and everything like that, and then he came back. Sometimes I think I think you just kind of test it out and you have to say it. And what are you going to say? You know, yeah, his oblique is hurting again. And then if you, you, you know, he gets everybody into a panic and, and, and you don't really want that media frenzy. But I agree as a fan, it sucks. You know, <laughs> you want to know, you want to know what's going on. You, you want to be able to kind of weather your expectations and, and, and figure it out. And, you know, my, my problem, I think the most with Boone is though, is that like, is he the galvanizer, right? That, that they expect him to be. He doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that like rah rah go team, get in your face, get ugly when I need to kind of guy to the team in the clubhouse. He he just seems like Mr. Nice Guy. I used to play baseball, you know. Like I I I was I had a big home run in this town, you know. Like <laughs> I I don't see anything about him that separates him from or makes him a good manager, and and never have I, you know. It, it, I've been. He had one good year of managerial decisions out of what is it four now that, that he's been here, um, and that was coming off of a, a very questionable firing of, of Joe Girardi in the first place that we all like at the time thought was frustrating. And you know, I guess we've talked about this in the past. You know, Joe Girardi left because uh, because he wasn't communicating things appropriately to players. And, and again, I, I'm kind of comparing things to the Knicks again just because it's so fresh in my mind, but. That seems like what Tibbs was like when he was in uh, when he was in Minnesota, right? Where the image of him got tarnished because he wasn't a good communicator. But really, what that meant was that there was players that didn't want to do the work or didn't want to hear what he had to say. And that's kind of what reminded me uh, is reminds me of, uh, of of Joe Girardi and the Boone situation. Is, you know, there was a coach who was getting hard on players who were these up and coming superstars. But maybe that's what made them superstars. You know, so. Uh, you know, ever since he's left, a lot of players have had significantly worse careers that were on the rise up. So, it's a great point. Honestly, it really was. I think the Tibbs Girardi comparison is the comparison we never knew we needed. That was really good, Alec. I'm gonna give you another ding. I, you know, it's 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 the perfect thing. We talked about it specifically with Gary Sanchez before the season, and apparently, right, Drew Girardi and Gary Sanchez didn't get along that well, and. You know, maybe it was Girardi pushing too hard and Sanchez not reacting. What happened since he's gone? He's been bad. He's been really bad. And we're hoping it looks like he could be better this year. He has one of the better averages and he's hitting some home runs and whatnot. But that's an absolute knockout point right there, Alec. Aaron Boone doesn't seem to be bringing much to the table. Is he just a guy doing as the front office pleases, saying seemingly the wrong things? It might be. And we want to all act like, you know, being a manager in the MLB is a powerless point or a powerless position right now because of all the analytics and whatnot. There's still strings being pulled by him. There's still vibes being set by him. And he's constantly getting outmanaged and, and just in simple, in simple shit. Like the, the opener that over the weekend, you know, know how the opener works. You, you put one of your better relievers to start the game to get out the top of the lineup and then you bring in the lesser pitcher, like a, your sixth starter in to get to, to turn the lineup over two or three times. It doesn't have to face the top of the lineup. You don't bring in your worst reliever in Nick Nelson to start the game. So you want to, <laughs> so you, you bring in your worst, your worst pitcher in a tie game to face the top of the lineup. What, what in the actual fuck is, is going on here? <laughs> I like it worked. It, it, the, when the Yankees did the opener, 
it worked because Chad Green was the opener, and he's one of their best relief pitchers. And he faced the top of the lineup, and he would pitch one or two innings, and it was great. He handed the ball off to uh, Sessa, or he handed the ball off to somebody else, and they turned over the lineup, and it worked. It worked a lot of the time because you pitched an actual good pitcher in the first inning. And then you throw out Nick Nelson out there, and they're down 3 nothing before the Yankees can even at bat. It just made, it made no sense to me. And it, it constantly it happened. It happens in the postseason. It happens whenever they just face the Rays. Like he just sticks his head up his own ass and then like does has no idea what to do. So mm. it's uh it's fr- it's very frustrating to to constantly just watch like this team that has so much talent and like you can see like what is going wrong. Like a lot of times, like you know, sometimes if a team doesn't it doesn't work out, like you say, like, oh okay, you know, that's just a you know, unlucky bounce. So that's just baseball. You're not going to win every year, but you can see the errors literally happening in front of your face. And as a fan, you can't really do anything about it. You just kind of have to go along for the ride. So it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And I think the the frustrating thing is on the last point you made is like, yes, you're absolutely right. Because like, it's not like our BAPIP is, is high, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we are just grounding out into, into, into crappy double plays and everything like that. But in terms of, the most frustrating thing to me in terms of the managerial sense is that we are trying to play a game that we are not meant to play, which is this small ball, you know, really, really sabermetric focus on these really minute details. Instead of just trying to smack the shit out of the ball and power, and power pitch, right, which is what the Yankees are built to do, right? Instead of trying to play these little, you know, sub outs and shifts, like, you know, subbing out Mike Talkman for him to get caught out at second base or something like that mm-hmm. and losing Stanton for the rest of the game. That's not us. That That's not who we are. We don't need to steal a bag for him to just get caught out or things like that. We don't need to put an opener out there in Nick Nelson. Uh, it just, we're, we're playing to like be like the Rays when it should be the other way around. And, and it's like, we don't even have an identity anymore. We have some of the ba- best power hitters in baseball and, and they're, getting taken out of the game in like the sixth inning for, for, for like Mike Talkman to run the base pass. Who's been okay at running the base pass. He's made some bonehead decisions too out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like I'm watching a Yankees team anymore. It feels like I'm watching like a, a, a mid market team play baseball. And, and that's not what I, I'm accustomed to. Again, I don't really care as much because the Knicks are very good, but you know, <laughs> it, it, you it, say it. <laughs> the Knicks are good. I, if until, you guys didn't until know. it registers in my brain uh, after the past ten years of watching every game and watching them lose. Yeah, there was a there's a I don't know if any anyone uh, follows me on Instagram underscore at Swarles Barkley. There was a I posted a video of my toddler running around the bases, and I and the caption was uh, "Run runs the bases better than currently the New York Yankees." So. Uh, and it's true. It was true. He went from first, second, third, <laughs> ran home, touched the base. He did like a safe thing. It was it was fantastic. Way better than Mike Talkman or Gary Sanchez on the bases. Shout out to Jack. Jack yeah. Jack Kalania. Let's get him on the podcast. Um, I feel the frustration. I feel the pain. There's a room to fix it. There is room to fix it. But for now, let's move on to the other New York team. The team that's doing doing their part. They're doing kind of as expected at this point in time. All the jokes were out there about the rainouts. Then we got a snow out, and then we got we got COVID early in the season. But the Mets are playing solid baseball right now. They're right at the top of the division. They're doing they're doing well. Nothing crazy. They're not lighting the world on fire. But it's a solid start for the New York Mets. Uh, probably led by, despite you know the reason Brandon Nimmo can be so important 
is because he gets on base like an animal and then scores a bunch of runs. He hasn't scored a bunch of runs yet, but if my guy has 17 hits in, in 11 games, are, are we aware of that? A, a 17 hits for Brandon Nimmo, that's amazing. He's batting 447, 540 on base percentage. Not only does he have a 17 hits, he has eight walks. It's pretty outrageous how good he's been so far. Um, but the lineup has ups and downs. The power hasn't been special by any means. It's really Dom Smith and Pete Alonso have two home runs, and that's pretty much the entire team's power at this point in time. Um, but the team's doing doing well and playing solid baseball. Uh, Mike, I'll go to you first here. Opening thoughts on the Mets, you know, first couple weeks despite all the, you know, stop and start of the bat of the uh, whatever the rainouts and the COVID and the unluckiness. Well, yeah, I know we just mentioned it, but I think the stop and start and craziness has a lot to do with the Mets early on. Uh, it's very tough to get into a rhythm, especially early on in the season. I mean, you have spring training, but even that was a little different this year with COVID and everything like that. Uh, so I think the constant cancellation of games, I mean, there was one point last week before they played the Colorado series where they had played eight games and had seven postponed, which is pretty ridiculous considering that the series that was postponed due to COVID was not because they had COVID. It was because their opponent, the Nationals, did. Rainouts, snowouts. I mean, it's almost ridiculous at this point, but they were able to finally play some games. Uh, I was very, very impressed. Their best game of the season, in my opinion, was the first game of the doubleheader against the Rockies, where DeGrom struck out nine in a row, one short of Seaver's record, um, struck out 14. Diaz wound up striking out the side in the ninth. They finished with 17 strikeouts out of a possible 21 total outs, which is very, very great for Met fans to see from their pitching, both starting and relieving. Um, but that first game, I mean, this is, it's the opposite of the narrative that we've seen. That was the first game. The narrative is Jacob DeGrom comes out, strikes out 14, gives up a run in seven innings, maybe. Sometimes he doesn't even give up a run. This time came out, gave up three runs, none earned, Struck out 14 again. The offense comes back, gives them back the lead after they were losing. Diaz winds up striking out the side in the ninth, which I don't know if I've ever seen as a Met fan. I don't know if I've ever seen Diaz strike out the side in the ninth. But that was just, it was everything that they needed to do. They finally came back and won a game for DeGrom. He was loving it in the dugout. They were showing him every single time the Mets, they started off that top of the seventh, which is top of the ninth pretty much, um, in a doubleheader situation. Uh, they kept showing DeGrom four hits in a row to lead off that top of the seventh inning. Aggressive base running. Almora's slide at home plate was – he was safe by a centimeter. It was just unbelievable. And being a Met fan for so long, these are normally games that we lose in situations like that. Normally, we're blowing the game for DeGrom. And this time, we were able to turn it around. That was awesome. Awesome as a Met fan to see that. Very encouraging on this season. Unfortunately, they lost the second game of the doubleheader, but – winning that first game it was acceptable and then they took the rubber game two to one um the following day sunday they had a day game uh low scoring which is uncommon to see at course field um but a 2-1 game and the mets need to win these games these games we were talking about it with the knicks earlier you know how they were losing these close games and now they're winning them good teams playoff teams that win a lot of games during the regular season win these close games one way i have always looked at it in baseball, there's 162 game season. So figure every team wins 60 and loses 60. And then there's those 42 games in between that what you do with that separates the good 
and the playoff teams from the bad and the non-playoff teams. So if the Mets can keep winning these close games, they can rely on their starters to go deep, their relief pitchers to come in and execute. I like where we're headed this season. Absolutely. And for Andrew here, just to add to that point on things going in the Mets' favor for once when we're used to it not, your boy Edwin Diaz finally saves in back-to-back days, Andrew. It's amazing. He, the streak is over. It is over. For those unaware of this streak, because I texted all my Mets fans, uh, you know, the on the day after, and I said, like, the streak is ready to go. And they're like, what's, what, the, what the hell are you talking about? I think about? I said what that streak? too. <laughs> Even Pete was like, what streak are you talking about? I was like, Yandy, like, who are you talking about? Yandy Diaz? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Edwin Diaz, like, up to up to that point on uh, on Sunday, did not record has not never recorded a save in back to back days as a New York Met, and it's it's over. He did it. He did a uh, save on Saturday and a save on Sunday. It's over. It only took him three years to do it. The year three of Edwin Diaz, and he finally got a save on back to back days. I don't know what I'm going to talk about on this podcast anymore. <laughs> it, was, it was my favorite stat. I've been bringing it up for like <laughs> I've been bringing it up for like a year and a half now. I don't know what else I'm going to say. Oh man, it's great. It is a great feeling to have a slight bit of trust. He's one of those pitchers who can be dominant all year and still gives you a heart rate of a buck 50 when he gets out there in the ninth. Like even if he's looking absolutely electric and strikes out the first two guys, like there is an implosion waiting to happen. It feels like that. I know, you know, um, oh my God, what the heck is the guy's name? The Mets closer from way back in the day. Armando Benitez. Wagner? Nah, oh, nah. Benitez. Benitez. Mondo, he had Armando like Benitez. he had some insanely great statistical seasons, but he was still one of those guys that you never felt good until it was over. Like he made you like wait for every pitch. Diaz has that vibe, but it's okay if he's going to go out there and shut out some games and not give up the long ball or not walk a bunch of guys. That's what it's all about for him. But I want to talk about the starting pitching. We know Jacob Degrom is just off the charts. It's almost funny at this point how good he is. I mean, 17 strikeouts between the two of them in a seven-inning game is dumb. It it shouldn't happen, and it did. We don't have to talk about how good Jacob DeGrom is. The two guys to really look at here are Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker. They both have had very nice starts to this point. Stroman, in particular, has looked really, really strong, and we've talked about him on the contract year. This could be the time where he puts in the best season of his career and then leaves the Mets. Who cares? He might want to stay. He might not. He might give them one of the best years uh, of his career. So the pitching rotation, which for a long time was a strength and we couldn't score runs. And then we can score runs and we couldn't pitch. It looks like, Andrew, this rotation is coming into form, obviously still early, obviously time for Stroman to regress and Taiwan Walker to regress. David Peterson's gotten off to a slower start, but what are you seeing so far from this pitching staff that can help balance out their attack while the offensive power hasn't really been there. Well, I wouldn't even say that Pearson got off. He had, you know, he got well, the first start was really bad. He got, he got that one bad start again. This first start out, he threw six innings, one run, 10 strikeouts, you know? So he had a, he had a great first start. Um, and you know, or his second, so his second he, start, he got shelled. Was that it? Second start, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was four innings, six earned runs against the, against the Phillies. Um, we saw him a week later, so you could probably chalk it up to that. But again, you know, stats look weird when you only have one or two starts, and you know, it'll it'll take him a little while for to get the ERA back down to what's the six ERA right now. So, yeah. but you know, outside of him, um, yeah, you know, again, you have, you have to love what you see from Stroman and Taiwan. And again, I was just really, I was just like kind of just sigh of relief that the Mets actually won a game for Degrom because like it, like. 
again, I brought it up last last podcast. Like, Met fans can't even like be looking forward to watching Jake the ground pitch because, like, oh, how are they going to blow it? Like, I I was really going to think that he was going to go zero and three with a zero point four five ERA. <laughs> like that that's unheard of. It was possible. And just I, I was just very happy that uh, they were able to get him a win there. So the the bullp- the the rotation looks. You know, very strong, and the bullpen actually looks pretty good too. Miguel Castro, even Familia has, has pitched, uh, you know, pretty well. Given it's only pitched like three innings, but um, he, he's pitched pretty well uh, as well. Trevor May's been, you know, he got off that rocky start, but he's been pretty good ever since. And and you know, Diaz is gonna, Diaz is gonna kind of do that tightrope act. But uh, again, very happy that he got the the save in back to back days. So everything everything's looking pretty good and you know they're the Mets are in first place right now they're in top of the division first place by game and a half and you know everything's looking uh, a-okay over in Queens things are peachy for the New York Mets right now it's very nice and I don't even think there's much more to, to talk about here I mean we don't have to have the conversation about Dom Smith not being in the lineup that was a opening day thing that existed and I think maybe the outcry helped who knows maybe it was the fact that he came in and hit a home run the next game he hasn't been yeah. incredible hitting but he and, and- and what's crazy is that, like, you know, they're winning, so nobody's talking about that Francisco Lindor's only hitting a buck 89 right now. Yes. And he's still batting in the two. Like, no one cares. No one Jeff cares. Jeff Lindor's like, too. Yeah, in reality, yeah. three of the guys who we looked at on this roster and said they will have to clean up the Nimmo on base, and they haven't yet. Nimmo's on base mm-hmm. 54% of the time he's on base, and he's not scoring a ton of runs because McNeil, well, McNeil's batting a little bit lower in the order, but he's 176 right now. He couldn't get a hit to save his life in the first couple he games. He got that big home run for him, didn't he? A uh, couple couple games ago. To... That, that was like his only meaningful hit of the of the season yep. so far. He only has six on the year. Um, yeah. Lindor, as you mentioned, 189. He is getting walked a bunch, so he's on base a good bit. And Conforto just got up to 200. He's not hitting the ball very well right now either. Um, so the offense hasn't even come together. I think the fact that they are winning games with the offense not particularly doing their part is a, a reason to feel even better about this team. You know, if this offense starts to hit and the pitching just steadies, this is the team that we all hoped would be an NL East contender and pretty close to a surefire playoff team. Uh, so I don't know if there's really much more to add here on the Mets. I think it's kind of happiness at this point. You have to wait and see, see if the consistency remains on the pitching side of the ball and that the bats start to wake up. I don't know. Does anyone have anything else to add on the Mets? I don't, I don't think we should even belabor it too much. Real, real quick, um, just a, a crazy thing that I picked up on early in the season. Jacob DeGrom batting 571. Yeah. Hits and seven at-bats. <laughs> Pitchers crazy. who rake. I mean, at one point, I think at one point, him and Conforto were tied for hits going into DeGrom's most recent start. I think him and DeGrom were, yeah, Conforto and DeGrom were tied for hits on the season. Finally, Conforto starting to, to get it together, but. That's that's crazy, man. Degrom, I mean, Degrom being a shortstop in college, just sick athlete. He's just he's just the best, man. He's just the best. He's so good. You guys don't deserve him. No. Oh. <laughs> if anything, we deserve him for not having anything ever. Um, that that's pretty much it, though. I don't think we have much more to say here on the Mets in particular. Uh, I could add this: that just watch out for that man in Atlanta. Ronald Acuna is a bad man, a bad man, and he's looking like he's ready for one of those seasons where. You know, we all knew he was great, and he says, I might be the best player in the league. Like, he is at that level, and he is in our division. That team is not going anywhere. Neither are the Phillies, uh, seemingly. So, they're in a tough division. It's going to be it's gonna be a great year, I think, and uh, excitement. Any, any, any last words 
on MLB at large. I think we could keep doing this throughout the season uh, with our baseball episodes. Shout out any player that maybe you think is uh, doing some great stuff. You know, not not Wilson Ramos having six home runs, X Met great for Detroit. <laughs> what is that about? But any players or any teams that you just want to shout out that uh, you've been pleasantly surprised or impressed with? I'm I, got, I mean, I, I got Steven. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I got I got Steven Matz. Um, speaking of ex-Mets, um, Steven Matz, 3-0 on the season, 1.47 ERA right now in 18 innings pitched. Uh, I mean, I don't even know if we ever saw those kind of numbers out of him in New York. Yeah, that's Steven Matz, Long Island kid. Need to change the scenery to, uh, to jumpstart their career. We're taking it in a new direction, and it looks like he early on. It's very early, but might have found his stuff in Toronto. So, see what he could do. I guess for me, um, it would be uh, Williams Astadio. Oh yeah, uh, of the uh, of the Minnesota Twins. Like the guy, he's if you want to just watch, if you miss Bartolo Colon, yeah, he's the new big sexy. Um, I was just thinking it. He's yeah, he's the best. He can. He's he's actually a statistical anomaly. He does not strike out, but he does not walk either. I think he has like eight career strikeouts and like two career walks, and he's been playing like the majors for like three seasons. Like he does, <laughs> he doesn't do any of those things. Right. But he can also play literally everywhere. But everywhere, all he catches, plays third base, shortstop, first base, outfield, and then he was just pitching the other day. He was breaking off forty six mile an hour curveballs just, and now and he posted on his Instagram that he uh, he wants to be in talks for. Uh, Al Cy Young, so he's just a <laughs> he's just a joy Wait, to watch play every single day. You seriously were like not exaggerating. This is insane. I thought you were making a big exaggeratory point there. No, in four seasons, obviously this one's really short. He only played eight games in 2020, but in 341 career plate appearances, seven walks, 14 strikeouts, batting 295. <laughs> That's actually yeah. ridiculous. He doesn't walk. He doesn't strike out. Just that he's a he's a t- statistical anomaly. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! Great stuff out of you, um, Alec. Any last words about the Knicks? Maybe I don't know. It feels like that's what on your head anyway. <laughs> uh, no, well, no, I, I have had enough about the Knicks, but um, I, I do have a player to shout out: Jazz Chisholm on mm. the on the Marlins. Also, because he has the dopest name in all of baseball, um, but uh, <laughs> dude, dude seems to have figured out what his issue was in the minors, which was like he struck out a ton and couldn't get on base or anything like that, and never they, they never really envisioned him like achieving his potential. But dude's gonna be a perennial twenty twenty guy uh, for sure. Uh, guy's just gonna smack home runs, steal some bases, and he's hitting at a pretty high clip. He's batting like three thirty right now. Um, Maybe the Marlins aren't as bad as I thought they would be going in. I, I figured it was just a, you know, a fluke last year, but I don't know. Yeah, and he was uh, he was actually just on CC Zabathia and Brian Rucco's podcast RTC too, and he did uh, he was a great interview, and he's like a upcoming guy. He's got a ton of energy, and he wants to, you know, he's got a got a chip on his shoulder. You know, he was traded one for one for Zach Galen, uh, now of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, he was straight up traded for him, so he's just like, I can't wait to face him, so I can fucking take him deep. Like, hey. he's just like, he like, it was, it was great. He's got a ton of energy, and uh, you know, I'm excited to watch him play. That was a good, that was a good uh, guy, Alec. 
We love it. Good stuff. This is it. I think uh, that's all we got. Now I'm for... ready to talk about uh, the Champions League and UEFA soccer. Yeah, what's and, going uh, on? There's some crazy <laughs> stuff. Super League, baby. Super League. The Super League. Yo, it's crazy. The the FIFA's gonna it's gonna revolt. It's gonna go tear itself apart, man. I'm 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 all for it. Yeah, I, I follow a bunch of people who are randomly like intense soccer fans or fo- football mm-hmm. fans, if you will. And I saw a whole football. lot of outrage on my timeline today. I was like, wait, what is going on here? Yeah. And it, I didn't even try to understand all of it, but it sounds outrageous. What's the? So they, bas- they basically want to form like an all-star team and basically screw uh, the, basically the most popular teams in England sports. So basically FIFA came back to them and said, anybody who does this league is can't play for the country and they can't play in the World Cup. Wow. So the, basically the, the Champions League, uh, the uh, – Super League is basically uh, over before it even starts. Oh, it sounds like villain versus villain because doesn't FIFA do yeah. a whole lot of yeah, shady suck. stuff? That's crazy. Um, all right, that's good stuff, man. Uh, for Kyle Anderson, who's not here anymore, now we got Alec Argento, Andrew Kalanya, and Mike Bonfield. My name is Pete Kennedy. This has been Subway Sports Talk. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We're actually coming back with an NFL draft episode. Straight up, NFL draft. It's time to talk to prospects. I think I, I might have waited too long. Uh, there's been so much happening with basketball going on, baseball kicking off, and football kind of taking the back seat. It's time to ramp up. It's time to turn up the YouTube page and watch every single highlight I can find on all the quarterbacks and the receivers and the whatnots and have some fun with it. So I'll have a guest on with me later in the week to talk NFL draft. That's going to be awesome. And then it's here next week, NFL draft. Alec, real quick, Giants, what do we got? What do we got? Two seconds. Give me something. Uh, Weddle. Weddle? Waddle. Yeah. Waddle, whatever his name is. I don't know how to pronounce it. You put me on the spot there. I think they're going another receiver. I think they want another star receiver. Okay. Word on the street from uh, something I heard was that Devonta Smith is uh, getting the eye of Dave Gettleman. I think that's a little bit worrisome. A little bit worrisome, but we will discuss that later on in the week on Subway Sports Talk. That's all we got today, boys. Cheers. See ya. Peace.